Our sermon this morning will be from the book of Exodus. Surprise. We will be in uh, chapter 16 this morning. As you recall, the last time we were in Exodus, the Israelites had crossed the Red Sea miraculously. And Exodus 15 is a song, a response to what God has done. So I felt like Exodus 15 might be best served as part of a, perhaps a series on worship. So we will go to Exodus 16 today. And I'm going to do things a little different this morning. I'm going to start with a short story. As the morning sun rose over the vast desert expanse, the Israelites stirred from their tents, their spirits heavy and their stomachs empty. For days they had journeyed through the wilderness, guided by the pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And though they were free from the bondage of Egypt, their hearts were still bound by doubts and fears. Imagine there were two individuals among the Israelites, and for simplicity's sake, we'll call them Jacob and Leah. And their reactions differed significantly as they awoke to find the ground covered with a mysterious substance. Now Jacob, a man of faith and gratitude, knelt to collect the sweet manna that had appeared miraculously overnight. And with each handful he gathered, he whispered, thanks to God who had been faithful to provide for his people. Leah, however, with a heart still stained by discontent and doubt, grumbled as she gathered her portion of the manna. She longed for what Egypt had provided, unable to see the heavenly gift right before her. Despite the unmistakable presence of God's provision, she allowed her desires complaints, and perhaps even a desire for the past to cloud her vision and hinder her from appreciating the blessings God had laid before her. And in the unfolding story of Exodus 16, we will witness the Israelites' journey with the manna in the wilderness. Their response to divine provision should serve as a mirror reflecting our own attitudes towards God's blessings at times in our lives. Are we like Jacob, filled with gratitude, trust, and obedience, recognizing our loving God's daily miracles and provisions? Or at times are we more like Leah, consumed by discontent, doubt, even disobedience, overlooking the abundance of blessings that God surrounds us with? Failing to recognize God's faithful care. Failing to recognize what God has put right in front of us. So as we look into that story of Exodus 16 and explore the lessons learned from the manna, maybe we challenge, may we be challenged to examine our own hearts and responses to God's provision in our lives. Let us open our eyes to the daily miracles Embrace the spirit of gratitude and trust and allow God's faithful provision to sustain us and to renew us each day in our faith. 
Father, as we open your word, may your spirit open the eyes of our hearts. Give us ears to hear and a desire to ponder your wonders and the provision you have made for us. May your words help us to appreciate what you have provided and still restless hearts that might reject your provision in search of their own satisfaction. God, give us clear minds this morning to recognize the blessings you rain down on us. And I ask you this morning that you grant me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. In Christ's name, amen. So we're going to start um, in verses 1 through 15. So Exodus 16, verses 1 through 15. Hear now the word of God. They sent out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hands of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. And then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. And then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Now, this story takes place just shortly after the Israelites have been delivered from slavery, a place where they were for some 400 years, at a miraculous crossing of the Red Sea. They had witnessed the plagues of Egypt, and now they're in the desert on their way to the Promised Land. So most of these people were used to a life of slavery. Freedom was a brand new experience for them. Now, we do know that there were those in their midst who had probably experienced freedom. Because if you recall, when the Israelites left Egypt, 
it wasn't only Israelites that went. There were other peoples, other people groups that went. Hence the repeated instructions for the Passover, um, the consecration of the firstborn, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. These things were all repeated because now Gentiles had come into the people of Israel. But for the vast majority of them, they had never been through anything like this before. It was a new experience. And naturally, they had questions. They had doubts, unsure of what to do next. What will we do? Where will we go? How will we get there? How will we survive without food and water? Questions like these and others are typical when we face uncertainty. And they illustrate Israel's struggle to trust God and his provision. And despite all they had witnessed, being released from Pharaoh's grip, they still had doubts. Do any of us ever have doubts about what God's up to? How many of us might try to determine or even control the outcome of a situation in spite of the evidence of God's hand at work for our benefit, for our provision? We must remember that the people in this story lived it minute by minute. They didn't get to open up the scriptures and read about what they were doing. They were living it minute by minute by minute. Just like you and I today, living our lives, our journeys, minute by minute. We don't get to open a book either and look and see what it's going to be like. But we do get to look at their story. It was written for our benefit, not for their benefit. They were the actors in the story. Their story was recorded for our benefit, that we might learn from it. The Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, saying that they would have been better off dying in Egypt than starving in the desert. You will remember from past sermons, and we will continue to see this throughout the book of Exodus and even into the book of Numbers. This is a common theme. The people grumbled and complained about Moses, about Aaron, and ultimately about God. Always with the complaint, we should have stayed in Egypt. We need to go backwards, not forwards. Or we should do this, or we should do that. Never quite satisfied with what God had provided. Instead, they complained and sought their own ways. And in this case, God responded by promising to rain down bread from heaven for them to eat. He showed them his loving kindness and mercy. He showered with them with his grace to prove his faithfulness to the promise he had made to Abraham hundreds of years ago. God showed them how he cared for them. And he met their needs. But it would not always be this way. God would not tolerate their grumbling, their whining, 
and taking matters into their own hands forever. Over and over and over through the Pentateuch, through the history of the entire history of Israel, he put precisely what they needed right in front of them. He gave them what they needed. He met their needs. He even met needs they prayed for. And yet, sometimes they still rebelled. They complained. They sought their own ways. In spite of the cost, in spite of the harm their choices might have on others, eventually that kind of thinking cost this generation dearly. God said, you will not enter the promised land. You will die in the desert for your rebellion. Let's move on to Exodus um, 16, 13 through 21. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall shall each take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever had gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it eat as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. So the manna was described as a fine flaky substance, like frost on the ground. And it appeared every morning for the Israelites to gather. I want you to notice where God put this provision. He didn't hide it from them. He didn't make them jump through hoops to find it. He didn't require anything of them. He graciously provided what they needed, and he put it right in front of their noses. Right there in front of them, God provided exactly what they needed. He put his provision right before them. They couldn't miss it. The only way they could miss it was to walk about blindly and ignore what God had provided. They didn't have to hunt for it. No search was required. No skill would be necessary to understand that God had given them what they needed. In fact, what they had asked for. And you will notice that initially the Israelites did not recognize the manna as a blessing from God. 
They asked Moses, what is it? And what did Moses tell them? It's the bread. It's what God had promised to give you. He answered your prayer, your grumbling, your complaint. Let's remember why the manna was there. The people were hungry. They complained. They needed nourishment. And at the time of their complaint, there didn't seem to be anything to eat. And yet God promised he would provide for their needs. And now, right there, before their very eyes, right then for them to take advantage of, all they needed to do was accept God's provision for them. Moses tells them what the manna is and how they are to make use of the provision. Let's see how they responded. Listen to verses 19 and 20 again. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. God provided for them precisely what they needed. He put his provision in their midst so they wouldn't miss it. Moses explained to them, this is God's provision. He instructed them to gather what is right in front of you. Put it to use. Yet that wasn't good enough for them. God's provision and instructions didn't suit them. They thought they knew better. Sinful hearts took matters into their own hands, jeopardizing what God had provided. And the result was not good. The gift that God had delivered them, a gift that was meant to be God's blessing, rotted and melted away before their very eyes. This incident in Exodus is not just a one-time thing either. Let me share some other events from the biblical record where people disobeyed God's commands or refused his provision. Story of the golden calf. Moses had gone up to the mountain to receive the blessing of the Lord for the people. They grew impatient. Yet God's meeting their needs. He's providing for them. But instead they build a golden calf. Worship the golden calf. And this was not the only time in Israel's history they would do this. And this disobedience led to consequences for the Israelites, including the destruction of the golden calf and a sickness that would strike the people. How about the story of King Saul? The people clamored for a king, one like the nations had. So God grants their request. God provided them a king and blessed the king with success. But Saul was arrogant. He liked to put himself forward as a great example. He bragged to Samuel, look what I've done. In the name of the Lord, of course. But he disobeyed God's command. And he spared the Amalekite king and kept the spoils of war for his own selfish purposes. As a result, God rejected Saul as king, and eventually his kingdom was taken away from him, and his own flesh and blood swore allegiance to the next king. 
In the New Testament, the parable of the prodigal son illustrates how a son squandered his inheritance, rejected his father's commands, leading to a poor outcome. Poverty, feeding pigs, laying with pigs. And only when the son repented and returned to his father was he welcomed back with love and forgiveness. You see, the prodigal son, King Saul, the Israelites in the wilderness are powerful examples of our human tendency to reject what God provides. When it doesn't quite meet our expectation, when it isn't quite what I wanted. Sometimes our desire to be in control and to determine the outcome of events just makes us blind to God's provision, even when it's right in front of us. But what about stories in the Bible where people accept God's command and his provision? Oh, there are those too. The book of Genesis, God commanded Abraham to leave his homeland and go to a land he would show him. Abraham obeys God's commands. He sets out on a journey of faith, trusting in God's provision. As a result of his obedience, God blessed Abraham with descendants, descendants as numerous as the stars and the promise of a land for his descendants to inherit. Later, Abraham would be tested by God and told to take his son Isaac up to the mountain to sacrifice him. Abraham continued to trust God. He continued to follow God's lead. And just as Abraham is about to stick a knife in his son's chest, an angel intervenes. Do not harm the child. And lo and behold, right there in their presence was what? A ram stuck in a bush. God supplied what was needed. In the book of Ruth, Ruth, a Moabite woman, chose to follow her mother-in-law, Naomi, back to Israel after her husband's death. Ruth obeyed God's command to stay with Naomi and showed loyalty and faithfulness to her. Through her obedience and trust in God, Ruth was blessed with a new husband, Boaz, a wealthy man, and became an ancestor of King David and ultimately of Christ himself. In the book of 1 Kings, the widow Zarephath obeyed God's command through the prophet Elijah to provide him with food, even though her and her son are facing starvation. The widow demonstrated faith and obedience by trusting in God's provision, in God's word. And in return, God miraculously multiplied her flour and oil, ensuring that she and her household had more than enough to eat throughout the famine. Now, these are some examples that illustrate how obedience to God's commands, acceptance of his provision, <coughs> and trust in his faithfulness can lead to blessings and favor from God. When we align our lives with God's will and demonstrate faith in his promises and provision, instead of seeking our own desires, our own ways, we open ourselves up to experiencing his abundant blessing and provision. Moving on now to 
uh, verses 22 through 30. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord had commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink. There were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather, but on the seventh day, which was the Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my law? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of this place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. The Israelites learned something important through the provision of manna, such as trusting in God's plan and being grateful for his provision This story is an illustration of the importance of trusting God, being grateful for what he provides. The manna that fell from heaven each morning was a physical reminder of God's faithfulness and care for his people. And they still didn't get it. They still continued to do things their way. A beautiful picture of the Sabbath. And that it was for rest. Oh, we don't need that. We got to go out there and get some more. We got to have more. but, But you have it at home already. God already gave it to you the day before. It's right there in your home. Just go back to it. It's right there in front of you. Oh, no, we got to go find some more. In our lives, we face times of uncertainty, difficulty where we might question God's provision, struggle to trust his plan. And just like the Israelites, we are prone to repeat mistakes, rely on our own understanding, seek solutions to our problems that suit our desires. But let the story of the manna reign in your hearts as a reminder of God's provision, exactly what they needed, exactly when they needed it, and he put it right at their feet. You know, this story of the manna doesn't end in the Old Testament. In fact, it's a picture of something to come, isn't it? Y'all know that. It's a picture of something to come. In the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to himself as the bread of life. 
Make no mistake about the connection. It's there to be seen, not ignored. It's there not to be said, well, they could be connected. They might not be. I don't know. If you don't know, read it again. They are there to be connected. The Old Testament speaks of Christ through all the pages. It points to him. In John 6, he reveals a profound truth to the crowd around him. He declares himself as the true bread from heaven, surpassing the manna that their ancestors ate in the desert. That's a pretty powerful statement and holds significant implications for our understanding. Jesus as the ultimate spiritual nourishment and source of eternal life. You see, bread serves as a basic staple and it sustains and nourishes the body. By likening himself to the bread, Jesus is telling us that he is the ultimate source of our physical needs, but also something more. Unlike physical bread that only provides temporary satisfaction, Jesus is offering eternal nourishment, fulfillment to those who come to him in faith. And by identifying himself as the true bread from heaven, Jesus asserts his divine nature and mission. He represents the perfect provision from God to offer salvation and eternal life to all who believe. And just as the manna was a miraculous provision from God to sustain the Israelites in the desert, Jesus is the miraculous provision from God to offer life and salvation into eternity. Eternal life is what Christ promises us. Spiritual bread in the form of Christ is essential for nourishing our souls and attaining eternal life. Just as the manna sustained the Israelites in the wilderness, Jesus sustains each and every one of us spiritually and eternally. He is the living bread that gives life to the world. He also speaks about the importance of trusting in God's provision and plan. In Matthew 6, he teaches about not worrying about material things, but trusting God to provide for our needs just as he provided manna for the Israelites. Like the manna given daily, Jesus teaches us to pray for our daily bread in the Lord's Prayer, acknowledging our dependence on God's provision. The manna story points forward to Jesus. You have to see that. In Matthew 4, Jesus makes a statement to Satan during his temptation in the wilderness. If you recall, Christ had fasted for 40 days and was hungry. Satan challenges by saying, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And he declares, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This declaration highlights the importance of spiritual nourishment and sustenance from God's word. Jesus, like the Israelites in the wilderness, was hungry. But there was no grumbling or complaining, just Satan offering a quick and easy fix. Satan thinks about the physical need, whereas Christ was focused about the spiritual and eternal needs. See, Jesus' rejection of Satan's temptation to turn stones into breads 
emphasizes again the truth that our ultimate nourishment comes from a deeper source than just material things. Jesus revealed that the true life and substance comes from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God's word is likened to spiritual bread. Jesus' words also remind us of the vital necessity of immersing ourselves in God's word to receive daily spiritual sustenance. Just as our physical bodies require food to operate and perform, our soul requires the word of God for spiritual nourishment. By regular intake, we are equipped, strengthened, and sustained for our journey, we're given direction, comfort, power to overcome challenges. Now, what Christ is saying is not two different things. In the John passage, he tells us that he will continue to provide for physical and spiritual needs. In Matthew 4, he reminds us that the word of God is necessary for our spiritual needs, for our souls, and for our faith. They need to be fed as well. It's no accident that the scriptures refer to Christ as the Word. He is the very manifestation of God to us, and we find him in the written words of scriptures. We find him in our prayers. We find him in the sacraments. We find him in our tears. We find him in our joy. And as some of the ladies saw this week that went to the art exhibit, we find Christ in the darkness. Or rather, he finds us. He finds us where we are. Do you know why? Because he's right in front of you. You can't miss it if you are his. What you need is already here, never leaving or forsaking you. And if for some reason this morning you were not his or you're not sure, then after the service you find Pastor Keith, you find me, you find one of the elders. Don't leave here with unanswered questions. Get the answers you need. In conclusion, let us marvel at the profound simplicity of God's provision. A provision that was right in front of the Israelites, on the ground, waiting to be gathered. The manna, the gift from God, was for their good. It wasn't hidden. It wasn't elusive. It was an unmistakable presence, a tangible reminder of God's faithfulness and care, a reminder that long before they came to this day, God was at work planning and providing for their future. And as we navigate our personal and corporate journeys in the wilderness of life, we are sure to face uncertainties and a longing for direction. May we open our eyes to the gifts God places right in front of us. Just as the Israelites had to stoop down to collect the manna, let us humble our hearts to receive the blessings, the daily blessing that God provides. Consider the beauty of this. 
the Israelites wake up each morning to find the ground covered with miraculous manna. It required their participation to gather it. A simple way of reaching out and taking what God had graciously provided. What he had put right in front of them. They didn't have to search for it. God put it right in front of them. The provision God offers us today is not distant. It's not unattainable. It's with arm's reach, waiting for us to recognize and receive it. The manna represents physical sustenance and the spiritual nourishment and the guidance that God graciously places within our reach. In our pursuit of God's provision, let us not overlook the blessings that exist, to quote Paul Tripp, right here, right now. God's gifts may not always meet our expectations, but they are precisely what we need for our good. The book of James tells us that all good gifts come down from the Father of lights. And as we embrace the spirit of gratitude and trust, may we stoop down, as it were, to collect the manna and recognize God's faithfulness in our lives. And in the grand narrative provision, let us not forget the ultimate gift, the bread of life, Jesus Christ, who is not only given for our good, but invites us to partake of him daily. Just as the Israelites gathered the manna each morning, let us daily bask in the presence of Christ, our eternal sustenance. And may the miraculous gifts of God's provision right in front of us be a constant reminder that his love and care are ever present. And as we leave this sacred place today, may our hearts be attuned to the gifts and the provision God places within our reach. And may we journey forward in gratitude, trusting in the unwavering provision of our loving God. Father, take these words from your word and impart them to our minds and hearts. Help us to see your truths, to see the glories of Christ. Let us leave this place today full of joy to know that you have promised you will meet our needs. In Christ's name.